shut up, you're always talking. <laughs> In Italian, sounds much nicer. Oh, you know, yeah. He's content to be a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Shut Up, You're Always Talking. I am pizza artist Eric John. Uh, And before we get into anything today, I want to tell you about my friend John Scambato at Yacht Club Soda. Uh, John is making the best artisan sodas in the world, bar none. Anybody in Rhode Island can tell you that. But you don't have to live in Rhode Island in order to enjoy these amazing sodas. You can go to YachtClubSoda.com, check out their selection. They've got flavors like blue raspberry, root beer, cola, grapefruit, grape, strawberry, roadie red. I could go on and on and on. Lemon, lime, orange, cream. Look, I can still go. I can keep going. There's so many flavors. And you will not be disappointed. Not only will you not be disappointed, you will have your socks blown off. That's how good this soda is. Um, And and now that they're shipping, man, anybody in the world can enjoy these sodas. So please go to YachtClubSoda.com. Order yourself a case of soda for your summer barbecue, your beach party, whatever it is you got going on. Uh, It it will be improved uh, significantly if you have some Yacht Club soda. So go to YachtClubSoda.com and order some today. Okay, so uh, today on the show... Um, I, I've got uh, a real treat for everybody. Um, my friend Johnny Valella, um, from Channel Twelve News, is is nice enough to come on the show today, uh, and uh, and talk with me for a little bit. the The whole point of this show is is really to be more interview based. Uh, you know, the first couple episodes are solo, and I'm sure I'll do some solo uh, episodes from from you know from time to time. Um, but what I really want to do is bring guests on, and so I'm really psyched that Johnny uh, agreed to be my first guest. Um, he's got some really great stories to tell. Um, and just to tell you a little bit about Johnny, uh, he's an uh, Emmy Award winning videographer who's uh, spent the last 27 years working for WPRI 12 News uh, here in southern New England. Uh, and over the years, Johnny has captured some of the most defining images um, of a generation uh, from the JFK Jr. plane crash to the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Um, it's really amazing that the, the the breadth of things that he's seen and he's helped capture with his lens uh, and deliver to people um, here here in the uh, the ocean state and in, in the rest of southern New England. Um, however, it's the it's the weekly feel good segments uh, that are called street stories, uh, which has brought about the biggest impact uh, not not only on the viewers at home but on Johnny himself. And so uh, I'm really excited for Johnny to come and talk about that uh, today. Johnny, welcome to the show, brother man. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me on. First of all, congratulations on your podcast. Uh, I love the title, love the logos, and uh, I know how, how hard you've worked on this podcast, getting it up and running. So I'm, I'm honored to be your first guest, correct? Yes, you are the first guest. Uh, and yeah, thanks for coming on, man. I So for those of you listening, Johnny, uh, I met Johnny, um, I think it was back in, I think it was 2019. Uh, it was. It's so weird how time works too, because this was literally, I think, two or three months before the pandemic all started, which in like, in my head, like I just don't associate these things together at all. But Johnny, Johnny came with, uh, with Kim Kalunian and did a story on my pizza art, uh, at the, at the bakery. And, uh, that's where I met Johnny and we had a great time, like just hanging out, me making the pizza, he was filming and, and, um, and Johnny has helped me a lot with the podcast and just the technical aspects and getting things together. And so I really, 
Uh, I want, I'm really happy to have you on, Johnny, as the first guest. And also, there's so many interesting things that you have, I think, to talk about. So many things yeah. I want to know. Um, and, um, you know, so I guess my first question, just to give people a sense of who you are, how, yeah. how does one get into being a videographer for a local news station? Well, for me personally, I obviously I went to college at CCRI, um, and then I actually interned at Channel 12 while I was in college. I actually was working at a restaurant at the time, so I was going to college, working at a restaurant in North Providence called Oki's Steakhouse. I think everybody knows Oki's from back in the day. Oh yeah, I know Oki's. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, and then I and then I interned. I sent in sent in an application to Channel 12. And uh, they accepted my application. I ended up interning while I was doing all, the, all that other stuff. And it was just probably a combination of people leaving and working my way up and grinding it out. And, and that's how I got in the door of Channel 12 and kind of got into the rotation of, of working there. And uh, I started off as an editor, um, which now I'm a full-time uh, videographer, obviously. But I started off as an editor. Um, and I, I think starting off as an editor really taught me um, what shots I need. So when I did become a full-time photographer, I was like, okay, you know, I need more wide shots. Or I need, need more tight shots. I need more medium shots. So um, I think starting off as an editor was really key for me in catapulting my career as a videographer, which now I'm the co-chief videographer at Channel 12, along with Corey Welch, who's an unbelievably talented videographer alongside of me. And we're kind of in charge of the entire um you know, videography staff and, and that's how it, how it goes. So did you learn, did you learn, uh, the editing skills and all that stuff at CCRI or is it something that you learned more through the internship that was sort of separate from whatever you were studying at CCRI? Well, you have to remember I'm, my, I'm in my 27th year, so there was no digital format. There was no social media, any of this stuff. I learned on tape. So I was doing tape editing to begin with. I, I missed the film aspect. That was a little bit before my time. Um, and I was in the tape aspect. So we've gone from tape to now digital. Um, so I was editing in college on tape. And I was editing at the beginning of my career at Channel 12 on tape. Everything was tape related. There was no digital format of it. So I started off as a tape to tape editor, which was kind of a little bit more difficult than we have now, where we could just pop on the computer, pop up Adobe Premiere, cut my story, send it to the hub, and I'll be done in, in you know, a half hour. So back then it was different. You had to put a slate on the tape. You had to queue up the tape. You had to run it to videotape. It was a whole process. So the way I do things now is completely different than I did things 27 years ago. And I can't even believe I'm even saying that. It's been that long. But yeah, <laughs> and yeah, it's been crazy. Did you, did you find it hard to adapt to the digital, you know, as, as the digital came in? Or did it come in kind of like slowly enough where, you know, you were able to adapt, but... Brother, man, I thought about quitting. I swear, I swear to you. I was like, you know, I'm so used to tape to tape editing. And all of a sudden, it's like, John, we need you to do Avid. We start off on Avid. And I was like, what is this? Like, I used to pot up my gnats. I used to lift the natural sound up in my packages through a knob on the, on the, on the edit deck. And now all of a sudden, I have to lift up my gnats through these little notches on the timeline and i was like what are you talking about i have no clue what this is so it really took me some time and effort weeks upon weeks and months of 
getting it down of editing onto a digital format, which was completely foreign to me. I was so used to editing on tape. I'm like, I'm, I'm never going to last. I'm done. My career is done. That's it. I'm over. But um, eventually you work into the digital format. And now I realize Adobe Premiere is like the king of editing. And I can't think of any other way. If I had to go back to tape, I'd be in trouble. So I'm glad I'm in this this format right now. But TV news is like that. You know, you have to adjust to the the sign of the times, right? You can't always stay stuck in the tape era. You have to move forward to the digital era and the social media era. So you just got to move forward with the times and, and, and just adjust as you go. Has the, has the, the digital aspect of it as it's replaced the sort of the older, uh, the tape aspect of it. Um, did that, you know, aside from having to learn the technology, has it actually made the job easier in the sense of, is it, is it take less time to actually edit the stuff together? Oh, yeah. As you know, you know, you, you shoot a piece, you, know, you shoot a 30 minute, uh, some B-roll for 30 minutes and you ingest it. It takes, you know, a minute and a half to get into the system. So you have your video in already and you're up and running in, in five minutes. So, yeah, it's definitely become easier on my end. I mean, I can do more effects. I can do dissolves. I can do dip to blacks. I can do dip to whites. I could do, you know, I can do lettering on the screens, you know. Back in the day when I first started, Eric, you know, I started off on a black and white viewfinder camera. There was no color viewfinder. So when I white balanced my camera, I prayed to God it was white balanced because I wouldn't know if it was actually white balanced until I got back to the station and popped it in the edit deck. And nowadays we're kind of spoiled. We have, you know, color monitors and we can always check on white balance. But back in the day, the first thing I ever shot was that P-Pack. And I remember saying to myself, oh, God, I, I'm going to white balance off the stage here. And there's all types of lights. I hope when I get back to the station, it's white balanced. And sure enough, the first thing I ever shot was at PPAC. I got back to the station. It was white balanced. And I'll never forget it. There was an older photographer that walked past me. And I'm like, hey, man, look, look, I shot my first piece of video. It's it's white balanced. And he just looked at me and goes, dude, we do this every day. It's no big deal. <laughs> and kept walking. <laughs> and I was like, okay, man, I'll put you on my list of people I, I, I avoid. So, uh, but it's just, you know, it was just, it, it, that's, you gotta, you, it's a sign of the times. You got to change with the times. Everything's not going to be the same. And I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll be editing on a, on a different format, which would be even easier. But you just have to adjust and, and learn it, you know? Well, as you know, it's funny. It's funny you bring that up because as you were talking about that, I was thinking, like you know what what is the next big development you know do you think that it's something that's uh ai related that where you know that comes in and does it just kind of does a lot of the stuff all you have to do is input what you want and it does it for you <laughs> i don't know man i could go out and shoot a story and just hand it to a robot and they could just upload the video and, and edit it but <laughs> I, god knows where it's going to go from here but my 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 enjoyment, I mean, obviously I'm a videographer, but I really enjoy editing. That's where the nuts and bolts of the story are, right? You really make the story sing through the editing. You can shoot for 30, 40 minutes, but when you bring that video back, you have to have a, a story in your mind all ready to go. I edit the story, if this makes sense, before I even shoot the story. When I'm driving to the story, if I'm driving to your bakery and I'm going to shoot video with you, I already have the story edited in my head. I know how I want it to look. I know how I want the lighting to look, how I want the, the video to look, how I want the natural sound to go, which cameras I want to use. So when I get back to the station, I already have the story edited in my head. Now it's just the point of laying it down on the timeline. So when I went to your bakery, you know, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to do a little time lapse. I'm going to do a little GoPro. I want to turn the lights off in the bakery and light Eric up while he's talking. And I had it all set in my head. And I think that's a big emphasis on my end for young photographers. You have to prepare for the shoot. If you have a shoot tomorrow, 
Think about where you're going to do it at. Go by the location. See what it looks like. What's the weather going to be like tomorrow? Is going to rain? If it rains, you're going to have to move the location. Preparation in my job is key. But I always edit the story. No matter what story I go to, I have it edited in my head already. So when I go there, I already know what shots I need. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I mean that's great advice. And I think that it's probably in, in any field. Um, you know, just like I can say for my pizza art, like when I think to like if I know I'm doing a big job or, or, or like, a, like a, something that I know is going to take a long time um, because every, what I do is this sort of a race against the clock type of element. If I can prep stuff like even the day before, like if I can if I know I'm going to use a ton of olives and they all have to be chopped, like if I can chop up all those olives the day before, I mean, sometimes it, it, it might be, you know, it might take me five or 10 times as long to chop the olives than it does to actually place them on the pizza and like use them in the way that I want. Um, and so, yeah. So if, if you're showing up to do a shoot and you're trying to do all that preparation that you should have done on scene. So here's another question. I think people don't really realize this, but, um, and I know because I've, I've worked with you and I've done news pieces and stuff, but, um, Give people a sense of like, like how much do you typically want or need to shoot in order to get it down to like, say like a one or two minute news package? Yeah. I mean, you're, so let's go to street stories. I'll give a free promotion for myself. Street stories is two and a half minutes long, let's say. And you know, let's take your bakery story for example. And, and first of all, your art is amazing. And not because I'm on your podcast, but we just enjoy your work in general of these Thank pieces you. that we see online. I'm like, man, how did he do, you know, Gordon Ramsay? Really? Come on, man. It's amazing. So, um, but I think as far as the video aspect, when I first started, I used to overshoot. Let's just be honest. Like I was afraid I didn't have enough video, right? And now I'm afraid I have too much video. I don't want to overshoot. I don't want to sit, be sitting there going through 55 minutes worth of you know, Eric putting a pizza together. There's no need for it. I just, and that goes back to editing it in my head. You just, I know I need about, if I edit, uh, if I go to shoot with you at the bakery, I probably need about 15 minutes of B-roll on my main camera, probably about five minutes of B-roll on my GoPro and maybe my side camera, another five minutes. So, you know, I know I don't want to overshoot because when you overshoot, it's like you're sitting there scrolling through the video. And it's just a nonstop, you know, uh, scrolling first, you know, so I just have to make sure I'm, I'm good on the video aspect of it where I have it condensed. I like to condense the video in a sense. You know, as, as you're telling me this, I, I can't help but think that all of these tips and tricks are things that you learned um, through experience, right? Am I right? So how, how important is it? Like, like when you, when, there's so much schooling in general, like there's so much, you know, it's like you go to, for, I mean, you go to high school, but then you go to college. Um, let's say you're studying film editing or something, and then you might, you might go to get a master's degree or whatever. How much more important would you say you know four years of on-the-job experiences versus four years of studying editing in a you know in a classroom bro i that's truth right there that's that's facts i mean go on-the-job training is the best i mean when you intern somewhere go out with the reporters go with the photographers shoot as much as you can there's no better experience than on-the-job training i tell everybody this all the time i'm in my 27th year i'm still learning stuff but I'm on the job and I learn it as I go. And 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 I these kids that that go through, you know, four years of college, five years of college, that's fine. That's perfectly fine if that's what you want to do. But 
having an internship and using that internship, if you're there for three months, make sure you do three months of solid work. Get to know everybody. Get to know the systems. Get to know how to edit on Premiere. Go out with the camera guys. Go out with the photojournalists. Get, you know, go with the reporters. Learn as much as you can. I'm, I'm all for, and how I learned this job was on the job training. I went to CCRI for two years. You know, I did my, you know, I got a liberal arts degree and I did probably one video class, but I learned so much at Channel 12 that this is a business and utilize the, the tools while you're there. Utilize the editing. You ask questions, you know, go out with the photographers, learn as much as you can on the job training is so important. The interns that come into our station, the ones that make it in the career are the ones that are out there every single day, the reporters and photographers learning as much as they can. So listen, I'm in my 27th year. I don't know everything to this day and I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly YouTubing other people's work and looking at like, how did he shoot that? Okay. How do he like that well i'm going to utilize that i use monitors in my interviews sometimes i'll use this monitor that can cut away from the main camera and go to this monitor so i you know it's all about learning and and progressing in my eyes so just to boil it down right there's there's something that we like to do at where i work which is we like to ask each other hypothetical questions that are really hard to answer or at least we, we try to make them as hard to answer as possible so uh, so if you were running a television station, right? And you had to uh, be hiring, you're looking to hire someone to do videography and be an editor, right? Would you rather hire someone who had a, who had four years of training at a college, okay? Or someone who had been, pr pr been producing their own content for one year? Well, you know, for, well, first of all, if I was running the station, I'd give myself a raise. That'd be the first thing I'd do. And then, I wouldn't worry about anybody else. I want a big 20% raise, okay? I'm going to be really selfish right now. <laughs> okay? I don't care about anybody else right now. I'm giving myself a raise. You hear that, kids? We'll hire people, okay? You hear that, kids? That's not... <laughs> I want to hire 10 uh, Corey Welches. 10 Corey Welches will hire and, and we'll go forward. But uh, no, brilliant. I mean, listen, some people some people will think a hey, four years of college is what I need to, to progress. Of course, I'd hire the guy with one year that does his own uh, own work because i've seen it before and we get resumes in all the time these guys are doing documentary work it's the same thing as tv news it's just a different way of shooting right you're still shooting content you know and and yeah of course i mean the guy that's that's you know out there doing a year's worth worth of work on his own documentaries or interviews or you know commercial work or whatever the case may be might have a little advantage over the person that's in school for four years but that's why you have to take a camera go buy a camera and just go shoot and you, you listen to the guy like gary v right he talks about content 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 dude that he's right it's all about content go out and shoot you never know when you get to get you know a, a major story out of it so yeah i mean it's it's just take a camera and go shoot and and the news happens and stories happen outside of the newsroom. Just remember that it happens on the streets. It happens in the communities, happens in the neighborhoods. So yeah, I mean, it's, I know I'm ranting a little bit, getting a little further, but yeah, it's all about content. Well, and I think, yeah. And I think also it takes time to develop a skill. When I first started doing uh, pizza art, you know, it, there, there's a, there's a, there's a part of you when you're starting something new, that's like, you know, it's like you make your first pizza, for instance, in my case, and you post it online and you've got one pizza in your portfolio. And then you do another one. Now you've got two and it's not very impressive, but over the course of a year or two years, now you look back, you've got 50, I've got 50 works of art that I've made. Now it, it takes that much time to not just develop the skill, but also to, 
to kind of get people's attention as to the work that you're doing. And so I think, you know, I, what I would tell people too is like, you know, it, like you're saying, you know, maybe it might not even be an either or type thing, but like if, if you are going to school, like while you're in school, like do your, do your own stuff, take that four years that you're there and, and create a, a four years worth of, of, of video uh, that you've created. Um, I mean, you'll, that's the best you can do. It's funny. I mean, you probably do the same thing. I could go back 10 years and look at my work. I don't want to look at my work 10 years ago. And you probably don't work. You want to look at your first pizza. Oh, my either. God. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's be honest here. Dude, like, I, I, don't... I, my memory, it pops up, <laughs> bro, it pops up in my memories on Facebook. Like, oh, you shot this 10 years ago. I don't even click on that thing. I would never share that on Facebook. No, no, yeah. no. And, and... I don't want to eat. My stuff was garbage. But it's all about, like we talk about, it's all about progressing and always getting better. Just because you're in the industry like I have for 27 years doesn't mean I'm going to fall back and be like, all right, you know, I've done everything. I've won stuff and I've worked with Tim White and I've worked with these guys and Walpy Toe. No, I keep progressing and learning and buying new cameras. I'm obsessed with buying like side cameras. Like it's not the biggest deal, but to me, it makes a big deal in, in the production aspect. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about learning and progressing and getting better each and every day and do not fall, you know, don't get lazy. People are in this industry can, you know, get, get, you know, lackadaisical or something, but just don't do that. Just keep learning and, and, and watch other people's stuff. Dude, I watch people's stuff from San Francisco and Colorado and all these markets, Seattle and stuff. They're great shooters. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's how he shot that interview. You know what? I'm not going to shoot the same way and copy him, but I'm going to incorporate my own kind of angle into it and see how it works so yeah it's all about progressing yeah and like if if you um if you want to be successful at something right i think i think it was tony robbins that said this i could be wrong um but he said if you want to be successful at something find someone who's successful at that thing and just do what they do at just from the starting line right and also i think what you said is another great piece of advice to anybody uh who's trying to get into something new is really try not to compare yourself to who other people are today, but compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Like, are you better than you were yesterday at whatever you're doing? Because I'll, I'll tell you, you brought up the pizza art. I, the first time I got any sort of, uh, any sort of press for my work really was, um, when the, the Providence journal published my Patriot pizza, this was in, I think 2017. So we're talking seven years ago. Um, it's, I mean, at the time, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever, like, in the world. I thought it was so cool. I look at it now, and I'm like, what? Like, I can't believe they put that on the front page of the newspaper. Because, and because I've updated my Patriot logo design since then, you know? And so I've, I've shared, like, before and after photos before just to give people a sense of, like, you know, go go look. If you're looking to get into podcasting, go watch Joe Rogan's first five episodes of his podcast, right? You, you won't even know what you're looking at. Like, like if you didn't know it was Joe Rogan experience, you'd be like, what, what is this? I, it's three guys in a bathroom. I don't even know what this is. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's yeah, all it's, progressive. it's, it's progressive. all about progression. Yeah, so it really is. So, okay. So I got to ask you to, um, you know, 27 years, you said, right. Lots of stories, right. Lots of big stories. Okay. So maybe let's, I'd love to talk to you about maybe what, are your three, the three most memorable stories that you've been a part of for, you know, a good, bad, or indifferent, uh, for whatever reasons, what are like, what are the three stories that are the most memorable to you and start with one and then we'll, we'll go to the next two. Well, I'd say, I mean, I'm going to go back a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to, um, JFK juniors plane disappearing. 
Um, I spent seven days in Martha's Vineyard. Um, obviously, they were searching for him and his, and his loved ones. Um, so that had a big am- impact on me. We actually actually flew over in a three-seater plane with Christine Johnson, who's actually at the uh, – uh, she's at she was at the network and now she's in New York, but she was my reporter at the time. We flew over on a Saturday morning uh, when they found out this plane was missing. We were the first ones on the island as far as uh, media goes. Um, that was a big story for me. I set, spent seven days there. I believe they found JFK um, Jr. on a Wednesday or a Tuesday of that week, and we we stayed till Friday covering stories and people that were just impacted by his the impact he had on the world. Um, that was probably one of my biggest stories. My second memorable story is Hurricane Katrina. I mean, 2005, they asked me, do you want to go to to Gulfport, Mississippi to cover some stories of some Rhode Islanders down there helping out with the cleanup efforts? So uh, myself and Steve Avison, um, we drove. We didn't fly because there's no flights down there. We drove from here to Gulfport, Mississippi, along with Jared Holbrook, another reporter. He went to New Orleans and we covered stories there for 10 days. I think I was there for 10 days. It was wild. Um, but just to see the human spirit out there, you know, they lost people have lost everything, homes, cars. They lost their entire livelihood during Hurricane Katrina, and they were still upbeat about life, which was just amazing to watch and to cover. So we sent back stories for about 10 days from down there. Um, that was a grueling, grueling 10 days for me. Uh, but professionally is probably I grew a lot down there uh, shooting wise and editing wise and once again we were on tape there was no digital format we were on tape back in 05 um and then you know I you know I have to bring up a current one I mean obviously I could bring up the, a, a lot of target 12 stuff that there's been a lot of stories but the the protest from a few years ago when uh uh you know a bunch of people broke into the Providence Place Mall and that whole June 1st I think it was June 1st to June 2nd um those massive protests in Providence, that one is just, man, probably one of the most scariest nights I've ever had in my career was covering that. But obviously, we're videographers. You know, we have to be in the mix of this stuff. A lot of this stuff is going to be dangerous. It's not going to be safe. And a night like that where tensions were high, um, I think, you know, the cop car was burned that night. There was there was a bunch of rioting. The, um, the, the mall was broken into. But it was our job to cover it. You know, we're not going to be in, in safe places a lot of times. A lot of times it's going to be, you know, you're in the grind. You're in the moment. And you just have to shoot. You have to capture those moments. To you know, I always tell people, the viewers aren't at these scenes that I'm at. So the, I have to shoot it and bring them into the scene as if they were there, if that makes sense. And I think those three right there, as far as memorable, the protest, JFK Jr. plane going down, and Hurricane Katrina was just, you know, a massive story uh, around the world. So those three are really memorable. And obviously, I've done, you know, I've done so many stories, Eric, I, I can't remember half of them. I mean, it's oh, 27 sure. years worth. It's, it's crazy. Sure. It's Target, Target 12, street stories, uh, day of stories, just, uh, you know, we've covered federal court, we've covered crime, we've covered the mafia. I mean, the mafia stories for me, along with Tim White, are, you know, really impactful, um, memorable for me. A lot of the mafia stories we do have a big impact in this area, as you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've covered, I've covered a boatload of stuff. I hope that covers it. Oh yeah, no, for sure. That's, that's incredible. And I, you know, actually I want to talk to you a little bit about the target 12 stuff, but more from this, but more from this angle. And that's the the angle that you brought up, which is, you know, are there moments where you're actually on the job and you're shooting where like, like where you actually feel like you might be in danger 
Um, and I'm sure that comes in different forms if it does at all, but are there ways that you uh, mentally prepare yourself or maybe even just in a more tangible way, prepare yourself for the potential for either violence against you for being there or, or whatever? Like, like, how do you, like, how do you deal with that? No, I, we've, I'll take, for example, we've covered the Hells Angels uh, in court cases. We've covered the mafia outside of federal court. And I just think, you know, I've always thought of it this way. I'm very respectful of people, you know, when we're at court cases or outside of court, my job is to capture video and, it's nothing personal against anybody. I hope everybody knows that. You know, I'm not there because I want to be outside the courtroom and harass people and, and, and grab video of them. This is my job, and I have a job to do. And I think there's been a respect factor really among when I'm with Tim and we're outside in the in the community where, listen, no one's throwing a punch at us yet. And I hate to say that because now I'll probably get a punch next week or something like that. But, you know, no one's throwing a punch at us. I mean, there's been dangerous times, obviously. We cover dangerous situations. But... I think it's a respect factor. Like, hey, we have a job to do. We're here to get gather video, and and that's that. I mean, but yeah, I mean, there's always times you have to be on your toes. You have to have eyes behind the back of your head at all times, and you have to keep rolling. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, no one's thrown a punch at us um, yet, and no one's gotten aggressive. I mean, people got mad at us, obviously, and, and have yelled stuff at us. But you know, we have a job to do. And if we're on public property and and we're interviewing somebody or we're gathering video. Our job is to bring the viewers a story every single night, and you know we try to do it respectful way, and 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 we're very diligent with our work, and we prepare, and we talk to each other like, okay, we're going down here, like you know what could happen? We're going to be on on this sidewalk here, and yeah, we're at a public place, yeah. And we go through the whole scenarios and stuff like that, and luckily, you know, over the past, I've worked with Tim for the past sixteen years, I believe, fifteen, sixteen years. You know, we've just, you know, we've we've relied on our work, and and we've let our work do the talking for us, so. Do you, you know, think, I, obviously, do, you, you know. do you think that, you know, as far like, so for instance, as far as Tim is concerned, someone who's the one, he's the one who's like the face of it, right? He's on camera. He's the one who's actually confronting people. Um, do you think that you are sort of in a sense, his greatest protection because you have a camera and because, you know, people are less likely to do anything if they know it's on camera. Right. So is that, is that the greatest protection you guys have pretty much is that you're recording? It is, and I, I tell everybody, you keep rolling. You just keep rolling. And, and, and the fact I use multiple cameras, I'll use, I won't just use a main camera. I'll have a GoPro rolling at the time because you never know. Somebody could strike my camera, my camera dies down. At least I have a GoPro to back up to it. I have my phone handy in my, in my, other, in my pocket just in case. So, yeah, I mean, I've always – you know, Tim's a good friend of mine. He's a great coworker. We're like brothers. I trust him with my life. He probably trusts me. And, and we're, we're a team out there. We have to look out for each other, right? And we've been, you know, over the past 16 years, we've, we've been in some dangerous situa situations and some tense, I will say, I'll say tense situations, but we've handled it professionally. And yeah, I have his back, you know, and, and, you know, I just keep rolling, Eric. It's all about keep rolling until you get to the car and you put the camera away, you get in the car and drive away. Keep rolling it and just capture the moment and in a respectful manner, though. You know, we're not out there like vigilantes trying to run up on people. You know, if we, we come up to you on a sidewalk or outside of courtroom, it's because we're covering the case and we're covering the story. So, but yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I, I've been, I've had, I, I have Tim's back and vice versa. And, and uh, you know, we're brothers out there. So without getting into specifics, um, how how much time would you say you guys put into a Target 12 story before you actually 
go to do the actual confrontation or the actual interview? Like how much, because I would imagine there's got to be sometimes months of preparation and investigation and all of that. Yeah, of course. I mean, sometimes it depends on the story, right? It depends on, you know, sometimes we work for months on a story. Sometimes it's it's a week. It's a quick turnaround. Like, hey, we have to get this person, and you know, we want to put it on the air at that time. But th- those decisions are mostly up to Tim. I'm I'm basically Eric. It's kind of funny. It's like. I don't want to know where he gets his info from. I don't want to really know any background on anything. I don't care who his sources are. That's his business. I just, I take from him. He goes, hey, John, I need you to be here at this time, at this place, or I need you to shoot this locator, or I need you to go here. And I don't really ask questions. It's really interesting. Uh, you know, I trust him of what he's doing, and he trusts me, and, and we come together on the video and, and reporting aspect of it. So, yeah, it depends on the story, right? Some stories are month-long investigations. We've done them in the past, and some stories are quick turnarounds. So it all depends. Like, we, we try to, you know, he does his thing on the on the info-wise and, and gathers the story, and then we decide, okay, it's time to go, you know, ask this person for, you know, you know see if they want to talk to us. And if not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try to approach in, at a, a respectful manner on a public, at a public place and, and ask him some questions. But... It's our job, you know, and I tell people, it's really interesting. I have, I have a lot of friends outside this business, obviously, and I tell them all the time, like, listen, we're, we're friends to the end, right? I'll, I'll be, I'm your best friend, but I also have a job to do. And, and if you get into the news for a story and I have to come approach you, it's nothing personal. It's, it's, it's my job. And I hope people know that it's not like I want to go harass somebody or it's, it's part of what we do. So, you know, I'm everybody's friend and, but if you mess up and you get into the news for a certain thing and we have to approach you or I have to, you know, it is what it is at this point, you know? Well, I think that, I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, I think you're, you're right. It's, it's, you know, it's what you do. It's, it's your job. You can't, you know, if you're going to be a, a news agency with integrity, you can't pick and choose stories based on, you know, who, who you know or who you're friends with or whatever. And, you know, and I'm sure that I'm sure there's parts of people in that situation where they might wish they could, but they know that they can't. Um, yeah, I get, I get, I get, you know, I'll get phone calls maybe after a story from right. somebody. Oh, I know him. Why'd you have to go? I, go, I, oh, go, I didn't do any, I brought brother. I was like, oh, I don't, yeah, right. it's not, it's not personal. Like, you so, know, it, it's, it's a story. So, so one, one thought, just going back to something you said earlier about how you like to prepare, right? You like to storyboard in your head. Are those the hardest stories to prepare for? Because you really just don't know what's going to happen per se. As far as confrontation, as far as your story in general. Yeah, as far as if, if you're, you're, you know you're going to do the sort of confrontation or interview portion of yeah. it, is that the hardest to sort of prepare for a storyboard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because – and the reason why I roll multiple cameras is you only get one shot at this. On street stories, like if me and you do a street story together and, and the audio fails, okay, we'll redo the question. No big deal, right? We can redo it 20 times until it until the audio sounds correctly. On a confrontation or some kind of story that we're working on, even on a general news story, you know, you want to make sure everything works. And, and so I roll multiple cameras. I, I make sure all the audio is good. I make sure the camera's working. I make sure I finalize the video. It's all a process of you only get one shot of it, at it sometimes. Sometimes when you're confronting somebody or getting video of somebody coming outside of court, they, you're not going to redo it. You can't You can't go back. Hey, can you go back up the steps because my camera died? I'm like, no, that's craziness. So you get one shot out of it. So, yeah, it's, it's a little tough to prepare for. But I try to be... Over the years, I've just learned to roll multiple cameras, make sure my audio is working, wear headphones, just 
this job is all about preparation, man. I'm telling you right now, if you're not prepared, you're going to fail. And I failed many a times throughout the years of not being prepared. And I've just learned to, to, to focus and be prepared on stuff. So you've mentioned uh, street stories uh, a couple of times. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of a street story segment that you did. And that was so, again, a blast doing that as well. Um, Tell, tell everybody a little bit about just what street stories is, how it started. And, um, uh, you know, I know you, you started off, um, um, do you, you, you know, you've, you've changed hosts a couple of, I think once or twice. So just tell, give people a little idea of just what it is and how, how it started and why you, why you love doing it. Yeah, I mean, this started back in 2003 with Walt Pito. Obviously, I worked with Walt on Street Stories for 17 years. Now I work with Mike Montecalvo. But this started back in 2003. It was right before the Plunderdome trial. And listen, me and Walt are like brothers out there. We worked every single night together. And we'd be at a crime scene, and somebody would come up to us and be like, you know, I know you guys are covering the crime scene, but the real story is this guy here is trying to help this person out. He runs a soccer league on the side. He's a good guy. And so there's always a side story to the main story, which is kind of interesting to me. So me and Walt sat down in 2003. He was like, you know, I want to, we want to do feature, a feature piece. We want to showcase the good. We showcase a lot of crime and grime, obviously. You know, it's TV news. But we want to showcase the good in the community. And at that time, there was really no segment that showcased the good in the community. Um, so uh, the manager was like, okay, well, do a few stories and we'll see if we like them and see, see if it fits into the format. And sure enough, back after the Plunderdome trial, back in 2003, we started off doing street stories. We actually aired at 11 p.m., not 6 p.m. We aired at 11 p.m. on Fridays. Now, the interesting factor is and the craziness is we used to shoot them the same day. Nowadays, I'll shoot street stories on Mondays or Tuesdays. They'll air on Fridays. Back in 2003, 2004, 2005, we used to shoot them on a Friday and then air them on a Friday. So it was a quick, quick turnaround. And the crazy thing is, and people don't realize this, there was no social media. So we didn't have a story. There was no story to get that we'd have a, like we didn't have a story that was set up already. We would get in the car. And he would be, I'd be like, where are we going? He's like, just drive until we find something. And we literally drove around the state of Rhode Island. This is a true story until we found a story. It, that's bonkers to think about nowadays. Like, it's crazy. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, I'll oh, just drive to Pawtucket. We'll drive around until we find somebody and we'll, and, and we'll do the story. And that's how we found these inspirational stories was getting in the car and driving around till we found somebody and then we just, you know, talk to them and, and put the story together if it was on the inspirational side of it. Nowadays, 2005, when Facebook started up, okay, I can go on Facebook, I can, oh, what's, I can get a story from there or people would email us. But back in 2003, 2004, there was no social media. Where were we going to get these stories? There was nobody was emailing us a story, story idea, get in the car. And I'm like, all right, where, where do you want to go to? Where do you want to go this Friday? Oh, look, let's go to uh, Riverside. Let's go to Rumford. Let's go to Pawtucket. Let's go to Fall River or wherever. And we used to drive around and gather the stories. Think about how crazy that is at this point in life, you know? I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm just imagining you driving around and like just pulling off into like a local diner yes. and being like, hey, does that, anybody have guy. There was a guy at Water Place Park <laughs> painting. There's a guy at Water Place Park painting. We saw him. We pulled over. He was actually homeless. And he actually was painting, doing these paintings. It helped with his mental health. And he used to sell a few. So there's our street story for the week. It was wild, bro. I'm telling you right now, for two years, we cut in the car and drove around the state of Rhode Island. People don't realize that. Everybody's spoiled now. I'm 
spoiled now where all people will send me 40 ideas and I get to pick and choose which one I want to go to. Or I go on Facebook and be like, oh, I want to contact this person. Back in the day, me and Walpito in a car driving around the state of Rhode Island finding a story. <laughs> like bonkers, man. Absolutely crazy. So what if you had a if one story comes to mind or two that in terms of not I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite, but what I'm going to ask is um, which ones do you remember having the sort of biggest public reaction? Like, like what what stories and maybe it will probably be easier, maybe in the post social media era where it's a little bit easier to sort of gauge the, the public response. But like, what can you name one or two? Well, there was this guy at this bakery and did these pizza arts. Right? <laughs> all right, all right, knock it off, <laughs> knock it off. I, I'm sure no, there's I'm a story just, besides a free the promo. It's a free promo. I know. For you. But yeah, but... Um, so no, I, I would say the biggest impact, <laughs> the biggest impact one, and my favorite one. I'll do my favorite one of all time was Dorian Murray D Strong. If you remember D Strong and from Westley, the little kid oh yeah, 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 of course, yes, right. The seven year old had cancer, and he made those vi- everybody from around the world was sending him well wishes on the videos celebrities and gronk was at his house you know you know and, and showing up dorian murray the seven-year-old kid had the biggest impact on probably it's probably our biggest street story to this day and probably the biggest impact on me and walt i mean the craziest sto- the craziest thing about this story is i set up the story i'm supposed to go to his house on a tuesday morning to interview him and his mom who were great and the night before, uh, there was just like this Dorian Murray uh, Instagram page or something, and I see around eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night that Gronk from the Patriots is at Dorian's house right now in Westerly, and I'm like, oh man, I'm supposed to interview him tomorrow, and Gronk is at his house right now. Like this is crazy. At least I'll get to ask. We'll get to ask him about that. And so the next morning, I knew the kid was going to be tired. I knew that you know the family was going to be tired, and you know they were kind of like, oh, Gronk was here last night, and. And and so and so we, we end up driving to Westerly and, and interviewing him and the kid was just so genuine, Eric. Like it was just genuine emotion. There was no filter. His mom didn't coach him. It was just this kid in Wapito on a couch talking about life, talking about cancer, talking about inspirational things. I think he was a Pokemon fan or he had a bunch of Pokemons. And he says to Walpito, Walpito says to him, well, you don't look eight year old. You don't look eight years old. And the kid turns around to Walpito goes, you want to see my birth certificate? It's just like, what? <laughs> like it was just gold. Like the kid just gave us gold. And he just, it was just so memorable everybody two years past that we were at i think we were at a trump rally down at crown plaza and somebody came up to us and was like walt you know that dorian murray that d strong that story will stick with me forever you did such a great job interviewing him and 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 i think the, the d strong thing had such a big impact on the world the kid was he was worldwide god bless him and and uh, so yeah d strong for sure that had the most impact the most hits the most likes um, and he just had, he was a great little kid. You know, I love that kid. I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I can't think of any better way to end this interview, to be honest, because I think that, you know, like you said, you've, you've done so many stories that are just horrifying. And, you know, I, so I, I was a firefighter EMT for about four years. I, I volunteered, um, you know, and you see things and, and for, especially for the guys I knew that were on big jobs, like in Providence, 
that stuff it, it weighs on you like it really it, it it can drag you down um you know how important is it is it for you personally to do these kinds of stories um given all the other stuff that you have to do oh it means the world i mean obviously we only air once a week um and I'm so amazed by people's spirit. You know, I sit here every day going, I could never do what this person does. Like we did a, a, a woman that, you know, that made greeting cards. She was, she made handmade greeting cards and then put them on her doorstep for people to come by and take like, just, it, it just amazes me. The human spirit after all the, you know, bad in the world, there's good, there's more good in this world than there is bad, Eric. And I think you know that too. I mean, we cover a lot of bad stuff. Social media can be a lot of bad stuff. But if you really look at the state of Rhode Island, I mean, everybody in the state of Rhode Island, we're tough people, man. We're tough people, right? We're, we're, we're tough on everybody. But you know what? We have the biggest heart. Rhode Islanders have the biggest heart out there. I can truly say that. When someone's in need, they jump in, man. The community jumps in. You know, if someone is suffering, we jump in and bake them stuff or we do GoFundMes or, you know, Rhode Islanders are tough at heart, but they have the biggest heart. And I've learned that throughout the years doing these stories. And listen, I don't want to, you know, we could air every single day on these stories, but I think airing once a week, it just, it lifts people's spirits. We're, at, we're on a Friday at 6 p.m. Okay, it's the end of the week. What street story is going to bring to the table this week? Who are they profiling? And, and, and a lot of times I get messages from people saying, you know what, if that guy can do it, I can do it. I was down on my luck, but you know what? I saw your story, and that guy's inspirational, man. I just, you know, he, he was in, we destroyed this guy that was in prison and for years, for 10 years. He opened his own tattoo shop. I got so many messages saying, you know what? You know, I was down, I was in prison at one point. And you know what? I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to do something good like he, he does. And hopefully one day I could be on Street Stories. And, and, and just connecting with the community, community for us has just been huge. And, and people to go on camera with us and tell their stories are just, you know, look, look at your, situ your situation, your situation. I don't mean to bring this up if you don't want to talk about it, but you had a fire at your place, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Years ago. Yep. You got, you guys rebuilt, right? Yes, we That's, did. It's, it's literally, you know, it's, it's the human spirit, uh, you know, having adversity. I mean, that's the biggest adversity. Your place burned down, right? Didn't the whole thing burn? Oh yeah. Well, and that was one thing I think even, uh, for, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, my family's bakery, it, it burned down completely in 2007. Um, you know, and, and one thing I'll say, and I think it's one thing we remembered is that, um, how a year later, um, on the anniversary of it, actually it might've been on the anniversary or it was during the grand reopening, but, um, all the news stations who were there, the local stations who were there, you know, covering this disaster were, were there covering the, you know, the rebirth of it as well. It was like, you know, it's like, it's like, man, like that's, that's the best part of the story. Right. right. And that's now, what well, we, could, we, could come, right. we could come for the fire. The fire is the easy part. Right. We come for the fire right. and we, we get the visuals. But following up with you guys and you guys, are, you guys are basically a street story in general because you had adversity and you said, you know what? We're going to rebuild and we're going to become back better. And, and Depot Mary's is, 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 is a standard in the, in the community. And, and it's, it's, it's literally what street stories is all about having adversity, but you know, fighting through the adversity and coming out the other end, a better, a better person and better organization. Right? Absolutely. Johnny, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to me about all this stuff. It's just, it's so fascinating to me. Um, let, please tell everyone listening, uh, where and when and how they can watch Street Stories. 
yeah, you can watch Street Stories every single Friday, 6 p.m., uh, 6.15 p.m. on Channel 12. And if anybody has a story idea, feel free to reach out to me. I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. If you have an inspirational story, please pass it along to me, and we'll try to get it on the air uh, the best we can. But I appreciate you. I truly appreciate you inviting me on this podcast. I'm honored to be the first guest. I truly mean that. And I think this is going to be a huge, huge success for you. I love the name, love the logo, and the work you've put into this podcast has been amazing. Thank you so much, Johnny. I really appreciate it. And I definitely I definitely want you to be come back on and talk to me some more because you've got literally just endless stories to tell. So uh, thank you very much. All right, brother. Good luck. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast. I got to go. Go away. We just got it. I got that thing. I got to go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together. Okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.